Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm here with Tony with Dadhood, and we're gonna talk about men's programs and the need for men's programs to be more of the norm in pregnancy clinics, more right. so than being just a rare scenario that's only in about 10 to 20 to 40% of different levels of clinics. We like to see it in all clinics, oh, really. Yes. Could you introduce yourself? Um, if you were to meet an executive director in a elevator, how would you introduce yourself to her as to like who you are and how you normally um, come up, come alongside a clinic to help them with their men's program? Yeah, quite often I don't have to begin that conversation because if I have a tag or a shirt on, they say, "What okay. is dadhood?" Okay, know? and it's really a play on fatherhood, going beyond fatherhood because you can be a father but not really be a dad. Okay. So that's the difference in our name is mm. we try to create dads and not just let them be fathers because any man can really be a father. Um, but we have a lot of fathers out there today who are not dads. So how would you explain the difference? Like what does a dad have that a father may not? A dad, first of all, is there. He's involved. Um, he's part of their son or daughter's life. Um, instead of just being somebody that the the uh, child never meets or somebody who just uh, writes a check every month you know there's more to being a father than just child support okay um an involved father to me as a dad and there's a you know there's a difference there um that's good especially for the sake of the mom you know whether she's going to be a single mom or considered a single mom all on her own and she shouldn't have to be. It's not her job yeah. to be both. And moms need dads more so, more yes. so than just fathers. Yeah, and she and that, needs the she needs the support uh, as much as her child does. So, yeah, but I mean, like her husband, you know, her, you know, the person in the relationship with her, she needs she needs that that man to be a dad to her right. child, and not just to be a father, the right. father of the child. Right. Okay. And most of the. Um, the vast majority of young men who come into a pregnancy center are from father absent homes. Okay. And it's, it's almost like a generational repeating thing. It becomes a, a cycle that becomes the norm uh, to a lot of the young men who come in um, because that's all they've ever known is a father absent home. And one thing that can really challenge them is, is asking, do you want your child to grow up the way you did? And they think about that and usually say no I don't want I want to know my I want to I want to know my child I want to be involved in their life and not grow up the way I did so it's, it's really if you just point out to them do you want them to um, go through life the way you have up to this point or do you want to be involved and usually if they see the difference and understand the difference they don't want what they consider normal they want to change that and break that cycle oh that's good yeah so I had some questions we have look at I wanted to ask you about, let's see. So when it comes to messaging, you know, when it comes to a pregnancy clinic um, and bringing up dads, I think we were talking before a couple hours ago about how sometimes a clinic, when they're, when they're providing counseling, that they may not mention it or they're wondering why they don't have, you know, people asking about dads. I forget how you said it, but somehow like you, you asked them like, is it in your, you know, did you bring it up? Or, you know, did you invite the dad to the, the father to the um, ultrasound and things yeah. along those lines? Can you tell that, tell that story? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a um, 
nothing wrong about it. It was just kind of a mindset that it is a, a women's ministry. Pregnancy Center is a women's ministry. And many of them want to include the father. They want to include the male, but it's just not uh, the way they're set up. So you just really have to think outside what is considered their normal box okay. and begin to act, actively reach out to them and not just assume they're going to find you or find your services and come in. As far as the messaging, you just really have to make it part of your focus, part of your mission. Because um, a lot of centers will start a men's ministry, and we've helped several do that, that will say we're not getting the men in because they haven't changed the message. They haven't begun to actually truly invite young men to come into the center um, because they haven't put it on their website or they haven't stressed it in their social media pages. Um, they haven't begun to reach out to the young men who actually come into the building, who are actually there by using uh, brochures or um, if you have a male in the building, what we call coaches, advocates, mentors, um, having them actually go out and talk with them, not just uh, in the building, but actually active in the building. So a lot of centers struggle with the um, with the messaging. How do we reach men? We reach the men basically the same way you do the young ladies, but uh, just in a different style. Yeah, and, and one of the things that you mentioned was like ask you know asking the young lady to invite you know yeah. if, if when, obviously when appropriate, but inviting her you know the dad or the father of this child to to come to the ultrasound or, or asking like um, what does he think about you know this pregnancy yeah. and and like. And so if that doesn't get brought up, what, what are the benefits of asking about the father? And because you were saying before how he's probably the most influential voice Definitely. in this um, scenario. Yeah. If I always um, try to get our senders to understand that that's really important to actively reach out to the father of the baby if she's abortion minded or abortion vulnerable. And if she's in the in the center talking with a you know female client advocate, making sure that that advocate finds out where does the dad stand, where is the father, is he still around, is he um, in a relationship with you, what does he think about this? Because the biggest reason that young ladies consider abortion or have abortion is they um, are getting pressure from the father of the baby to abort, or they're getting no support. From the um, from the father of the baby, and sometimes in in these times, um, he doesn't want an abortion, but he's afraid to say anything because he's been told by our society and our culture today that uh, it's her decision and not yours, and you should just you know basically sit down and shut up, and we'll let you know if we need you or not. Um, so he's kind of been browbeaten into that whole yeah, my body, whole idea. my choice, my or, body, my choice. Yeah, and or no they, uterus, no. Something. Um, yeah. Yeah. No voice. Something, something like, like that. that yeah. we're, we're very good at getting this, in, <laughs> getting the titles right. Aren't we? But those, whatever but the movement but is. But yeah. But that's the, the that's that shout. That's that exactly that message exactly. from the enemy of be quiet. It's not your body. It's not your voice. You're you're not the one making the decision. Yeah. And essentially pushing him out of the room. Yes. And he and he is obviously is in the room and needs to have a voice in the yes. room. And if she chooses life, that's just that much harder on her because she's kind of pushed the father of the baby out of the room. And um, 
it's, it's almost it shouldn't like, be that way. It's almost like people like the scenario is that of course he's for abortion and we should just keep him out. It's almost like that's the voice that the enemy is putting in our ear. Yeah. Is that he'll obviously be a you know, he'll make it harder, but in reality, that may not be his voice. His voice could be Yeah. He supportive. thinks he's doing the right thing by being quiet and letting her make the decision. Yeah. She looks at it as he's not gonna support me, he's being quiet, he's not offering any support here. Mm. So that means he's he wants me to abort. I don't want to be a single mom. I don't want to be in this all by myself. I don't want to go through a pregnancy by myself. She takes that as um, he's not going to be there for me. And he's looking at it like, well, I let her make the decision. It's her body, her choice. And there's just a lack of communication there where they don't, you know, actually communicate what they, what each one's thinking, which is what, like you said, the enemy says that's what he wants. Author of confusion. Mm. Um so there's, he thinks he's doing the right thing and she thinks she's going to have to do the right thing to, um, you know, she sees no other way out. She sees no hope. Um, it's, so tell me about the, how this gets turned around or improved or um, by, a, by a men's program and how having men involved. Tell me like, you know, where, where's the, um, the solution from your viewpoint? Well, I think, you know, this being the ministry I've had for 20 years, is that every center in America should not only have an outreach to men, but actually embrace that ministry as in a dream world, in a perfect world, as uh, at the same level or the same passion as they do with the girls. Um, Because it takes two. And if we are going to truly try to stop abortion, if we leave him outside the building, we're uh, we're missing the um, biggest impact we can have with his voice being involved, and if he's been shut down or or shut out, we're missing a big influence on the decision, and we're basically denying him um, all that he can mm. be as a father, all that he can be to become a dad, um, and if he's yeah you know secluded, I always say where else is he going to go? You know he's been told to stay out of the decision. Um, she's getting uh, lots of wonderful help in a center, and she's been sh- she's shown love and compassion, of, of course. Um, and he's basically shown the door, you know. Yeah. So I think every center should at least, at the very minimum, welcome him in. Uh, when I, sh- I think most centers do that anyway, but also uh, have something there for him. Um, a lot of young men that I talk to, they come in, they want to be involved, and. I think there's a higher percentage of young men wanting to be involved than what we're seeing in pregnancy centers. You know, I have the book back there, Building Dads in Pink Buildings. And some people look at that and say, well, we're not a pink building. Well, that's not the point. It's the way he sees your building. Yeah, it's, it's the way he sees your 99%, ministry. 99%, um, you know, most, most executive directors are women. Most staff and counselors and nurse teams are, are women. Yes. Um, I would guess it's... You know, what would you say the number of, you know, how many men are currently like staff slash volunteers typically across your experience? You know, there, there are, there are um, more um, male executive directors than there used to be okay. years ago when I started doing this. But I'd say it's maybe 10%. That's just a wild guess. And maybe it used to be 5%. <laughs> yeah. So it's way, it's doubled. It's doubled. <laughs> yeah, it's way up. Big increase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that does make a difference having a, it seems to me what I've, 
have experienced over the years is having a, a male executive director changes the dynamics of the center enough that there is an outreach. Now, that's not to say I know some wonderful um, female executive directors who just have a heart for the men and who work hard and do great work um, having men's ministries. Um, this may sound offensive to the other ones. I just say they get it. They're the ones who get it and embrace it and run with it. There are others who, who I'd say get it, but they just don't have the opportunity or the, um, you know, they don't have the foundation to build upon to yeah. reach men quite so yet. So the needs, the needs vary when it comes to support and information and education on how to include a men's program. Yeah. And it seems like overall um, there's a huge need for more people to do it better or to or to even do it at all like, yes. I, think, I think that's the overarching message is yes. that it seems like um, a small percent of pregnancy clinics have a healthy men's program while the next group you know the next most people don't have a men's program at all and right. then right. several have a men's program that may be you know not doing well and then a small percent seem to have one that's doing well and so it seems yeah. like there's a lot of need for growth and improvement and education and a lot of room there. To a lot grow. of room to do better overall. Yes. Um, for sure. So one of the podcasts I was working on two weeks ago and it turned out, well, I was low energy. And so I didn't turn out very well and I want to do it again. And we're going to do it again in a few weeks. But it was talking about how a clinic ha over the last six years has helped um, 16 couples get married. And they partnered mm -hmm. with a church who then provided premarital counseling the wed the venue was provided by the church, and the, and then the pastor was able to provide that yeah premarital and postmarital counseling, along with some you know essentially trying to help, ideally hopefully is providing some discipleship, term That's church great. community, and but all of that is it, it hinges on the fact that the that you know that there's a couple here and it's not just a woman by herself in several scenarios it, there is a a man involved. And to different degrees, but actually trying to bring it all the way to building, you know, strengthening that relationship between that couple is a way of also, well, I mean, yeah. So, and, and making a better six, life for their baby for sure. And, and essentially helping both of those, both the man and the woman meet Jesus, making good decisions or better decisions down the road yeah. and getting closer as they begin their walk with Jesus. Because the pregnancy clinics are amazing at helping people who have an unplanned pregnancy and have a lot of hardships going on to help them meet Jesus in this time through action and word. And then to be able to bring that couple to a church community where they can continue yeah. to, to grow and to fellowship and to have, you know, have discipleship and learning. Uh, but all, you know, that integral p puzzle piece in that entire story is that the man is being included and right. supported right. and with, you know, pastoral care and counseling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's an ideal situation, but you, that, that dadhood piece or that fatherhood, you know, bringing the man in with, with, with some level of discipleship and support, it, it, it seems like, yeah, that is very much part of that plan. Yeah, I th I don't think you would find um, a center director or a center at all that would disagree with. We would love to see these um, parents 
come together unless there's like an abusive situation or something like that. And that's that. why I have some hesitation because there's some, you know, yeah. if someone is in a dangerous situation, that's not yeah. the best decision. No, but no. their safety is so important. Right. But if but if they're in many situations, it is a good, you know, place yeah. for them to build and and to for both of them to get on a better journey. Yeah. You know, I think what I've seen with I would probably say most young men, at least, you know, at least 50-50. If they come into the center and they can can speak with what we call a coach, a male advocate, you know, a mentor, whatever you want to call him or give his title. um, I found that these young men are more open to the gospel than they would have been a week ago before they got a positive pregnancy test. And I think that's the same way with, with everybody. Yeah. But you don't really think about God until you're at that point where, where else do I go? Um, so when they come into the center, you know, you can introduce them to Christ where they've never really met him before or wanted to meet him before. Um, so it's a great place. It's a, it's a mission field. And the great thing about that mission field is they come to you. You don't have to go halfway around the world and um, you know, yeah. pick up your family and go to Africa or something. They come into you and you have the opportunity to share the and gospel. They are- yeah, and it seems like um, they're going through a really hard time, which makes it so they're willing to listen. And, yes. and then when Jesus provides hope, help, and healing, it, it's such a remarkable opportunity to, to you know, it's just, it seems like it's the timing is, yeah. is right for people to hear it. Um, they're looking for hope, and especially if they're abortion-minded. They, they see no hope in their situation. And then, of course, there's always hope in Christ. So when you can introduce them to the um, to the gospel and share that, and they accept Christ, it turns the whole situation around. Where they felt like before that their world had turned upside down with the news of a positive test and an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Sure. Now you flip it back, and they you know they have the hope of Christ and eternal life and all the things that come away what what we call the abundant life. Um, and what a great way to start a family. What a great place to, you know, build upon with uh, with a baby, you know, because then um, the baby can be introduced to Christ. Whereas before, if it was a different situation, possibly never, never would have had the opportunity to hear it from their parents. So the opportunity is there when you have a, a young man come into the building and you really actively reach him with passion and, and gusto. Yeah. Um, you can change so many lives, and of course, the ripple effects from that go out to their um, their support community, um, their families, whoever it may be, can at that point reach or can uh, find Christ as well. It's just you know, it's it's a um, something that just flows out from that. So it's a great place and great opportunity, especially for young men to find the Lord that they may never have found otherwise. Oh, that's really good. So tell me about your ministry or, or organization or company, uh, Dadhood. How, how do you come alongside pregnancy clinics to help empower them to reach men? Well, you know, there are a lot of, um, and we hear, we've already heard here at this conference, of uh, centers that want to reach men. They see the need and they see the um side effects that ha- that comes along with reaching men, but they just don't know how. 
because it's not in their wheelhouse. You know, they've, their focus is, is, is ministering to the young ladies and they do a wonderful job of that. But it's a different focus. Is you, have, you have to change gears to reach young men. So we try to help them, come alongside them. Um, nothing else, just give them some advice. Um, you know, we have a book that helps them, the Building Dads and Pink Buildings, help them uh, overcome that view by the young men coming in that it's, it's not just a pink building. It's a, a, at uh, least a neutral building where they can come in and feel welcome. And it's not just a place where female medicine happens and, you know, scary and they don't want to even walk in the door. Um, they're thinking inside the door in the waiting room is an OBGYN waiting or something. Um, but we try to help them figure out ways to maybe make their, their center more friendly. And then if they are really interested in, you know, starting a men's ministry, we try to help them with the book. We have curriculum um, that we can equip them with. Uh, we have some, some resources for abortion-minded and abortion-vulnerable uh, young men different ways to help them attract, like I said, like we call coaches. Um, but I've found over the years, and I had somebody just commented a little while ago about the fact that if you have male volunteers, men who want to be involved and men who want to be coaches, you have to give them something. You can't just let them come in the door and expect them just to run with the ball and have great success. They have to have something to work with, too. If you can put a curriculum or something in their hands and say, hey, this is for you, this is a male-specific, this is male-friendly, only for the guys, um, they say, okay, then this helps me, I can go with it. But if you just bring them in, it's like sending them to war with a without a gun and expecting great success. And I hope nobody gets upset with the gun reference. We could, we could use a, yeah, sending someone to, uh, to build a house without their tools. There you go. That's better. <laughs> In today in today's society, that's much better without a hammer. Yeah, yeah. Can you put this nail in there without the hammer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you know, if you give them something to work with, it may be a hammer, maybe a curriculum. Sure. Um, they can have a lot better success because the main thing is to get the guys in and talk to them. Not a lot of these guys want to want to, they just need somebody to talk to. They have no father in their lives. They have nobody at home. Um, the best advice they're getting advice. It's from their buddies who, you know, are basically useless when it comes to good, solid Yeah, it may not be the right source for for wisdom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're kind of short on that probably at that age. I was. Yeah, that's understandable or common, I suppose, in many circles. So, yeah. Yeah. So they can, you know, uh, we try to help centers get started and then we do on-site trainings to for their coaches where we can help them learn how to use the curriculum, how to visit with young men, um, how to minister, how to reach out, and just try to help them get started and get building. Some centers already have a men's ministry in place. They just need to kick it up a notch. So what's the variety of men's programs? Like I can imagine like a men's Bible study. Yeah. But before we were talking, before this podcast, we were talking about how some groups would have like a barbecue or or a woodworking option that would help provide like space to do discipleship or building yeah. trust, rapport, and relationships. And... Yeah, I think the best discipleship is just life on life. Okay. Uh, building a rapport, building a relationship. Uh, same way it works with the, with the girls in their Africa. You build a relationship and you've really established something. Um, different centers have tried different things, and I get to 
you know, learn from those things and try to share what's working with, with others. Um, there's a center, and I can't remember places or names. That's the That's worst fine. part. I remember the programs. <laughs> That's, yeah. Sometimes I remember the that cities counts. if I'm on a roll. <laughs> Um, but which but, programs or which ideas have like people well, have tried and that had some level of success? You know, there's a, a center somewhere in America. Um, <laughs> I guess it's in America. I go. Yeah, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast. And yeah, they, they yeah and they'll they identify can, themselves. They put them in the comments. Yeah, because I, I forget. <laughs> but they had some coaches who were already part involved in the center somehow, who um, were wood, woodworkers. Okay. And they wanted to do something. Well, they set up a wood shop. On the property there, I, I guess that somebody had a wood shop they set up, and they would take the the uh, clients, the male clients who come in, out into the wood shop and talk, and then visit, and then they would get them involved in learning how to use a lathe and um, all these things. If they got into the actual ongoing fatherhood program, which could be you know ten weeks, twelve weeks, whatever, they were uh, they would teach these young men how to use these things, and they would build or they do build their um, baby's changing table. Oh, wow. And like you said, that could be like a family yeah. heirloom down the yeah, road. Yeah, I could imagine like, you know, in 80 years, it might be passed down three times. Depending on how well they build it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if it lasts 80 years. You know. All right, well, maybe um, it'll, it'll be in we'll the... We'll go by faith. It'll be 80 it'll years. It'll be in the in the online pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll but, be in their video roles of the, you know, in 80 yeah, years. <laughs> yeah, but I just think that's a great program because you... It's not just the building of the item; it's that the the fellowship that goes along with it, and the yeah. discipleship that goes well, along with it. Some life family life heirlooms thing. aren't necessarily built. That's true. Sometimes it's they're true. having to be rehammered every couple decades. Yes, I have those. <laughs> I have some of those. So yeah, so my mom, ha- she has this piece from my granddad that he built when she was four years old, and it's got oh, wow. rough edges. Yeah. My dad's had to repaint it a few times, and it. You know, it's it definitely is not considered to be polished or, you know, necessarily safe. But it, but the value of it is huge. I mean, yeah. if someone didn't know that, you know, it was a family heirloom, they would look at it as well, kindling. Should, yeah, that wouldn't even be. You wouldn't yeah. give that to Goodwill. Yeah, yeah, just that needs to go out to the street. But yeah, but based on the fact that it was made by my my granddad, my you know, all of my children have ridden in it and they love swinging in it. Yeah. And it's it's a huge, um, it's a it's a good experience because it was you know, it was passed down and it's just a really yeah. awesome thing. Stuff so, like what my grandpa has made for for me and my cousins and his his kids, uh, just stuff that has outlived him. Um, you know, like we have a quilt rack okay. in our living room and um, trash cans. He's yeah. Made. Okay. Um, matching tater boxes. Tater boxes. So they made tell me, me what... a dog food box that looks like a tater box, and most people have no clue what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what a tater box is. What, so, what exactly? How does a tater box work, or what's it look like? Well, the trash cans are like so tall, three, okay. three feet tall, whatever, um, and they're a frame, and you put a trash bag in, and the, it's just made for a kitchen trash bag okay and then the lid sits over that to hold it in and then it has a rise up and down lid but the tater box or dog food box or tater and onion box however somebody wanted it made because he used to make them for people um just has a slanted lid kind of and it says that on it and it's a smaller box you can keep your potatoes in or onions oh okay and it has like a um 
whatever the back the back is uh, breathable. I'm trying to think of the right oh, word. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's open, so it has some circulation to it, so they don't sense. rot. You know? Ah, okay. So, um, but he made stuff like that, which I still have. Um, he made clocks. He made um, doll houses for my female cousins. Wow. You know, he and that's just the way you know. Um, it's just the way he showed his love for his grandkids. He would he would he would not verbally express it. He was just kind of that old. You know, he was born in the teens. Yeah. So he grew up in the Depression days and World War II and all that. And so he wasn't very um, verbal, but you could you could tell the satisfaction he would take in making yeah. things for his kids and, and so, grandkids. Yeah. So it seems yeah, if a picture is worth a thousand words, making someone a tater box or a or making something for somebody out of wood it probably speaks at least seven to ten thousand words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like with the uh, um, changing tables. Yes. That would, uh, of course, it would me- wouldn't mean anything to the baby right away, obviously, but it would obviously uh, definitely show um, some commitment from the father. Yeah, I think it helps him connect yes. with this well, baby. It, it engages him during the pregnancy. It gives him ownership. And it takes a while to build that, especially if he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, these yeah. coaches are, are training him how to use these shop tools and things. Okay. And they're spending that time together in fellowship and they're, you know, building yeah. a relationship. Whether, that's what that's probably more of a male thing than it is. Yeah, I think it helps thing. him take ownership. Know. It helps him have a story to share that's, yeah. that has like a, ma- uh, uh, a masculine um uh, it's yeah a masculine story about the pregnancy. Yeah, like, and it may end up like your mom's swing where it needs patched and fixed. Yeah, and, but that's that's okay. Yeah, you know that yeah. the part about the yeah the value is in the the history more so than in yeah the, in the unit. And it really gives a lot of um, I'm sure a lot of pride to the young father who makes yeah. it. Yeah. That he has, he's able to give it to his child, and it probably shows, reveals a lot, or proves a lot, even sometimes in some situations, to her family, his family, that he's real about this. He's on board, and he's, you know, really um, taking the uh, the situation seriously, and he's uh, engaged, and he's here to stay. So I hope that you know, I hope that's what it says, and I hope he's here to stay. Yeah. But when they buy into a pregnancy. Um, you know, as soon as he gets the news, he's going to be a father. He gets a test that is a positive test. If he gets involved then and he's there for the pregnancy and he's learning and growing and he and the mom are working together and growing together, it's just a natural step for him to become a father. Whereas before, whereas sometimes we say, okay, here's your positive test. Um, in seven months, you're going to be a father and we'll let you know. And he's just say, go sit on the bench in the dugout until then and be warming up and we'll we'll let you know when, you, yeah. when it's time. Yeah, and we need him to get in that game. We need him to be playing and a part yeah. and, and active, an active yeah. participant. It makes all the difference in the world, and it makes all the difference in the world for her, too, that, that he is there to support her and walk through it. And uh, you know, studies will show, to, show, too, that if he's involved, she has a healthier pregnancy because he helps hold her accountable for her health decisions um, you know, abstaining from um, alcohol or, or smoking. Um, and she's more likely even to take her um, prenatal vitamins because he's there to kind of check on her. That makes and, sense. Yeah, some of, the, some of the stats you get out of there, like 
Really? Never really thought about that. But she, she takes better care of herself if he is walking alongside her through the pregnancy. So how does your group, Dadhood, help a clinic bring in the, you know, how, how does it help serve the, the, the clients that are men um, or the, you know, the men and these couples that are coming in with unplanned pregnancy tests or unplanned pregnancies from a positive test? How, how does your group help come alongside and encourage and empower clinics to to reach and support the men in these? Yeah, first of all, we want to just encourage. Um, just making sure we're, we're good on the video. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. We want to encourage the centers to get in the game. Okay. Um, to to really want to reach out to men. And, okay. Uh, we, we help any way that we can to uh, encourage them, give them free advice or whatever, or share with them what other centers are doing that's working. Um, but then we also have some resources they can tap into. We have our own curriculum that they can use um, to, it's, you know, lessons they can use that the coach, mentor, advocate, whatever your terminology wants to be, um, that they can work with these young men, teach them, train them, uh, lessons about um, even practical stuff like budgeting and things like that all the way to uh, taking a good look at your own father and see if you want to repeat what he's done in your life or improve upon it. Um, so how, so practically, how does this connect with the man? Is it something that he is given, like a pamphlet or some printouts, or is it something that the counselor would use to use to on how to speak to him? Like, what, How does it sort of, like, where's the rubber meet the road when it comes to, how does he connect with this content? Um, you know, the biggest thing is just talking to him, okay. building a rapport you know, as quickly as you can and figuring out what he need, what his needs are, meeting him where he is using curriculum. It may be somebody else's curriculum, but something to meet him there and grow him from that point. We, you know, we help train coaches and centers how to use the curriculum and how to engage them. Some men want to do that. They're just not quite sure how. So, like, we have um, interactive videos and things that will teach them and train them um, to at least how to deal with young men coming in in those different situations. Um, you know, and we have how-to books for the, for the center to get started and uh, abortion-minded, abortion-vulnerable materials if he's coming in, he's considering abortion or she's considering abortion, you know, uh, to change his mind or to encourage him to step up and stop it. Um, so we have resources like that, written resources and the training, and um, hopefully we can come come alongside the centers to um, to equip them, as we call it, establish and equip, equip them to have um, um, coaches on staff, volunteer coaches, um, to engage the young men, how to engage young men, and then... Um, try to somehow help them work with abortion-minded, abortion-vulnerable young um, men as well. Okay. And and so when it comes to having, you know, having a men's program, you know, it seems like there's a big contrast between, you know, telling someone to figure it out or just to go ahead and do it and then it should be common sense compared to... Um, compared to like giving them a, a roadmap or giving them like a, like a, um, a playbook of how, yeah. to, you know, here's how you can do this. And here's some, you know, tips and tricks on how to set up this men's program and some ideas. 
and making it so that they don't have to figure it out. Yeah. And, and then once they do it, it might feel like common sense, but it may not really be there because you have to essentially still figure out what to do. And so, yeah, some centers yeah. will, um, they want to start a men's program. They'll start it. They'll get men to come in to be coaches, but if they don't give them something to work with curriculum, um, streaming resources, videos, whatever it may be, and they have to give them something to work with that they can uh, um, use with the young men. If you just put them out there, you know, like a, sending them to war without a gun. Okay, yeah. Or, um, or maybe, or maybe go, yeah, building a house without the hammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, you probably can't say gun these days. So no. <laughs> um, I apologize. If, you know, no lawsuits you know, against Jacob here. It's so. like, yeah, it's like uh, sending someone to use a tater box with no tater. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. You can't build a tater, to- a tater box without some wood. nails and wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be difficult. Um, but... Without a hammer. <laughs> yeah, without a hammer. Or these days, a, a good uh, cordless screwdriver. That's what yeah, I, exactly. That's my weapon yeah. of choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, if you don't do that, um, your, your um, rate of failure is much higher. Yeah. Um, we had a lady who stopped by uh, earlier saying, you know, if this is working for other people, we don't want to try to reinvent the wheel. Um, if somebody else's work is, if something is working with somebody else, that's what we want to learn from. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, um, recycle. Like if a, if an idea works in one place, let's recycle it somewhere else. Or yeah. what I, another way of saying it is copy, paste and reuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, really by making the curriculum, you're inviting someone to duplicate the effort that's already been put in and yeah. essentially just a copy and paste and then rebrand and reuse. Yeah. Allows for someone to benefit from weeks of work to put it together and then months and years of tr- tweaking and training and using and, you know, going back and polishing it back. And then for someone to then be able to use all of that effort, they essentially can skip a lot of the learning curve, a lot of the, yeah. the hardships of like, well, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, every center is different. And some stuff yeah. works, some stuff doesn't. Well, that's true, but too. I, I always tell people right up front, I am not an expert. I don't have all the answers. But I have some experience learning how to do something and not to do something, how not to do it. Yeah. But also engaging with uh, a lot of centers that I have now over the years, I can, you know, share experience, what their experience is. And it saves uh, centers a lot of time. They don't have to go through the stuff that works and doesn't work. And it, the the foundation is already there for them, I think. It yeah, helps them. They should probably jump try the ideas that have worked somewhere else first. Yeah. Before before trying an idea that's untested or maybe failed last time it was tried. Yeah. Now, I would say start with the ones that are more likely to succeed as a good general idea. Yeah. Learn from the ones who are doing it successfully. Yeah. And um, not that I've always done stuff successfully, but I I've tried to learn from other centers and other places, yeah. and then pass that along. I'm like a clearinghouse of of uh, good and bad information. So, yeah, and that, you know. I, I feel like I'm in a similar boat where I often consider myself the librarian where I'm trying to collect these good ideas from different clinics. And then, and that's actually sort of like why I'm doing this podcast is I'm trying yeah. to take a really good idea that is not common. It's not everyone's using it. It's It really needs to go from 10% of, you know, throughout 10% of clinics to all clinics. Yeah. 
And so that's yeah. why I'm essentially that's sort of the goal of this podcast is to highlight and amplify and magnify good ideas, God's fingerprints, and yeah. ways of helping clinics reach their mission and goals better. Yeah, um, learning from each other. And to be encouraged at the same time. Yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, so I think this is really good um, for those who want to learn more about dadhood, dadhood.org. Tony yep. is a stand-up guy and he has some really good material on his on his table here if you contact him he probably can send it to you in the mail <laughs> yeah and yeah. um everything we do is like a pdf download and, that, and his uh table is also very masculine for being at a princeton clinic conference he's it the is. only one sporting um pvc pipe um holders for That's the right. for the uh these guys here these to uh, hold the books up the books. They have to be heavy duty <laughs> You know, there's, like I said, there's nothing pretty you or. Could, you could run water through those if you had to. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We can make a fountain back here. And, you know, if we run a water hose up here. We could really do some amazing stuff. You know, I was just thinking it'd be really smart for one of these vendors to have a uh, a Keurig coffee machine with some lots of water and lots of Keurigs. I, mean, I think somebody does. Oh, that's that's somewhere. Pretty, that's pretty smart because yeah. that would be like you know. Now they they don't have all the hoses and dispensers, but, but you they could, have a yeah, you could yeah. you could make it so it could be a little more industrial. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that. I can go over and borrow the water tank back here and hook it up and yeah, know, make it that would draw more people. So we could try that. Might, might bring a leak. <laughs> It'd be messy. We would turn a booth a booth into having a plumbing issue. <laughs> That's good. But wouldn't that look manly? Oh, very manly. <laughs> A big plumbing mess. So. <laughs> Been there. All right. Well, I think that's, yeah, I think this is great. Thank you for your time. Sure. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for, yeah, ministering to pregnancy clinics for two decades, I guess. And yeah, and going on still it. going. And um, it's because I'm old. <laughs> you know, not necessarily the experience. Well, my, my company is the same age. We, we just turned twenty-one, so really? I'm in the same boat of uh, yeah. In here You're not that days. old. Ah, uh, forty-four. I don't know. I'll, yeah. So you started young. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lot older than forty-four, but I won't say. You know? <laughs> You're probably forty-five. <laughs> yes. Yes. Every bit of it. <laughs> and then some. <laughs>